We bout that inner fulfillment, sipping the cab, never spilling. Pinot Merlot, and any way the grape can give us that feeling. Business and marketing, sales revealing all of that realness. Health is wealth, are you with me? We talking wellness and chilling. Spilling anything but a drop. It's important to tell, it's not just about cash, but it's about doing more for yourself. So pour a glass, don't have to share with anyone else. Leave your problems on the shelf. You tuning in to wine and wealth. Holy smokes, bro. That was a hiatus. <laughs> Hadn't heard that intro music in a while. <laughs> you are tuning in to Wine and Wealth. Where did we go? Where have we been? All five listeners have been wondering what's been going on. Alex Stiff, producer extraordinaire. Hello, hello. One year hiatus. How? Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Cheers to you, sir. How are you, man? Hanging in, it's working still, you. working still. It's, yeah. been, it's been hard without one of my main clients. Well, it's interesting to measure. Well, yeah, I guess main <laughs> client. That's sad because I don't have enough money to be your main client. We'll work on that later. But I can measure how long I haven't seen you by how long your hair is. Yeah. You exactly. look like John Lennon. I know. I grew the hair out. I shaved the beard. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine all the people. It's time for a change, man. How many times have you heard this? Oh, that song? Yeah, or John you, Lennon. Uh, okay, so when... Because you got a big schnoz. You got a nice pointy schnoz like John. Now you got the hair to match yours. I need, I need the Coke bottle circular yes. glasses at this point. No, honestly, when um, during our downtime, I took a uh, retail job to kind of continue that in. And man, every time I was on lunch break or if I went to go get a cup of coffee, hey man, you from the Beatles? Hey man, you a time traveler? I, I heard it constantly. Why are there a bunch of brothers asking you this at the mall? Uh, it's not just brothers, men, <laughs> hey, it's man. men, women. I feel like... No, seriously, women, the girls will talk to me like that, be like, hey man, I'm like, what? <laughs> Don't assume my pronouns. Exactly. <laughs> Don't you see this hair? <laughs> All right, now we've established where we haven't missed a beat. Nope. At least in terms of how we're going to do the podcast. What's up, family? It has been too long. And I, oddly enough, though, I have been asked a lot lately, do you have a podcast? What's going on? And some people, especially since they've been hiring me, have said, hey, I checked out the podcast. What's happened? So... Let's give the skinny on what's happened right out of the gate. So I have since the last episode, probably a year ago now. Oh yeah. I really, my goal was to not, the reason we're kicking this back into gear, we're keeping the old episodes. I just, I was determined to not be a statistic. 10 episodes in and you never do it again. And that was never the intent. Circumstances kicked in. I left Charlotte. I moved back to my hometown of Charleston, South Carolina, because I just missed the beach, fishing, surfing, all the good things that Charleston has to offer. It's it's home for me, and it was a good move. As a result, there were some growing pains in terms of content, and you know, you and I had to adjust on what we were going to do. We always promised we'd get back. I don't think we thought it'd be a year. Over, yeah, <laughs> but been over a year. Here I, we I, are. See, that was even surprising to me too, because when you mentioned wanting to do another one of the episodes, I was like, "Oh, cool. Okay, cool. That shouldn't be too much." July twenty twenty one, my man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, it's priorities. Quite it frankly, absolutely. So here's what happened. Last time we left this podcast, we were essentially. Um, all the private parts deep 
<laughs> into the startup, the senior yep. living startup, Tranquility. And we promised as part of the podcast was to keep you abreast of the journey that it is as a startup. And so here's what's going to be really interesting. We are going to tell you the bad and the ugly. And I don't think that happens enough. I don't hear these stories enough coming out of Silicon Valley. You only hear the like really rewarding stories, the success stories. Yeah, the hard work that was behind those, but they made it, right? What does it look like when it doesn't work? And that's where, at least for my involvement and your involvement in TLS, which was for those that may not know or just be chiming in, I had an equity stake in a senior living tech company. So the company that we were involved with and I was in charge of sales was essentially a fall detection device that was really new technology. It was really cool. It was really cool. And I still, and did not shit on my counterparts, I believe that it can still be cool. Time just wasn't on my side, right? The, the guys that had brought me in were older, had financial freedom, they could take risk, they could wait it out, and even if it doesn't work, they're still gonna have very nice lives because they've been very successful. Me, on the other hand, I just turned 40 this year. I don't have that luxury, I'm still in the hustle. So what happened was, I sold into a large facility out in California, very prestigious facility to test out the product. I actually did all the work to sell it in and essentially the product didn't work. It worked in a perfect environment, which is nuance number one in technology. Everybody shoots for the perfect scenario when in reality, you should be baselining and benchmarking against the worst case scenario. I'll give you the best example. So Alex, right, we went to Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. We did all this promo, we did all this video for marketing purposes, doing funnels strategically for some of you know, like leading age events, other events that, that are senior living focused. We had it going on, we did everything. Oh yeah. The problem was it's a very controlled environment. The, the the areas where we were doing these things had a bed, a chair, a couch. Perfectly well, proportioned square rooms. Exactly. Now, I want all of you to take yourself to grandma's house. <laughs> Is grandma's house got a bed and one recliner? No, it is full of a lifetime of Afghans. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, here's my new quilt I'm working on. That's nice. And China <laughs> in the corner that they can't get rid of. It, mm -hmm. Right, the porcelain dolls. It is a, a room for a senior, at least at the moment now, is not exactly minimalism. And so it was, and to add in, we didn't factor in things like wheelchairs. Not my department. Yeah. I was there to sell. So I did and it didn't work, and it kicked us out real quick, and I did not have time for that. I really believe that they are going to get where they need to go, because the technology's there. Here's the issue, if any of you are out there listening that are just observing or thinking about startups, and you've probably even realized this as a consumer, right? A savvy nerd consumer like you, Alex, 
you probably never buy the first gen of anything. No, right? absolutely not. Why? Oh, I mean, even with the new iPhones that come out, very rarely do I get them day one because you've seen so many reports of day one, you know, video game consoles, phones, you know, even sometimes day one issue of cars have so many problems. I like waiting it out for a little bit, see if there is any of those problems. And if there isn't, then get it or being like, hey, here's the new updated version. <laughs> Technology. See, that's that's your C personality benefiting you like great <laughs> me the high eyes like oh nothing will ever go wrong first gen this marketing is incredible look at all these people on the beach doing these amazing things with this new i, I bought uh this thing called a bump box you remember the bump box it's this huge like boom box thing that i have oh, that has yeah. two tens couple tweeters and it's it and it's was, like padded you could throw this thing off the roof and dude it's fun. awesome was awesome and I bought the Kickstarter version and it was rad. It went kaput pretty quick. And since then they've come up with a bunch of different iterations, which are the shit. Our friend, Chris Tiki, who was in the grave rollers. We've also had him on. Did we ever hear that episode of the I podcast? We did. Maybe, maybe we didn't want we'll to get him back on, but you see if anyway, it doesn't matter. He bought a next generation and this thing's been kicking for the last five years. It is incredible, but you know what it was? It was second generation. He looked at mine. He's like, Hey, that's really cool. Can't wait for them to improve it. I was like, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> this is one of those scenarios where I was only in the camp of, well, if you tell me it works, it works. The problem is, in here's what I quickly found out in technology, especially when you're dealing with technology that comes from other countries that don't adhere to some general business rules that we here in the States would adhere to. They promise things before they work. That's just my general consensus of the very specific experience that we had. I can't say that for everything, but that's what happened. And they were hoping that the sales would come slow enough to where the technology could catch up with the promises and the marketing. Right. They developed the marketing in those perfect scenarios. So I sold it because I sell fast. We got kicked out fast because it didn't work. And I strategically had to make the decision, not now. Uh, as a result of switching focus, out of nowhere, uh, about July last year until December, my business just took off. Every, it, this is the craziest thing. Everything in the pipeline that was maybe getting half attention got full attention. And I. So, what, what changed simply because you just weren't putting so much of your mental and emotional energy into it, you're able to focus on other things? Or was it just a stepping back, realizing what was important, then focusing on those? That's a great question. You know, we had such high hopes and dollar signs in our eyes with, with the startup. Because if and when it works, it's going to be powerful be revolutionary and the multiplier on that when you get bought out is life-changing money so you get blinded by that so you go all in on that when you get the setback that we did you just have to eventually say what will be will be i can't even if it does take off and go man i had an opportunity you can't look at it like that 
look at the opportunity in front of you. I essentially went back to do what you do, do what you love, do what you do best, as best as you can. And that was getting back to helping organizations with their organic growth goals, their sales goals. And so a lot of things had happened. It's a combination of a lot of things. One, I moved. So out of nowhere, band life was gone. I, I had no energy to create a band in Charleston. That section of your life kind of goes away. A little separation anxiety there, admittedly. But you have no choice but to then focus on what's in front of you. And just happened that I, I struck up a relationship with a former colleague who was a great keynote speaker. We get to talking and we said, hey, I speak in front of a lot of people, but I don't have a process that I can sell them on the back end. You have a really good training and consulting business, but you're not getting in front of enough people like I do because that's my job. We combined our forces and it just took off. He introduced me to a handful of clients of his. I closed them on retainers. Out of, I mean, the three or four that he gave us in the pipeline for the end of 2021, I closed all of them. And at the beginning of 2022, it was on. I had to go out and deliver all those programs. So from the beginning of 2022 till now, I've basically been on the road every week. In fact, we're here in Charlotte. We're doing yeah. a program today. I don't live here anymore. It's good to be back, blah, blah, blah. But it's just been a good run. So I've had, I've had a lot of success very quickly. And you know, it just it, it really reiterates that you have to look at failures and successes as not these like micro events, but you have to like pull back and go, okay, how impactful are these in, in the realm of my whole life? You know, you do the I hate to say it, but you kind of do the Dale Carnegie thing where you fast forward to you're in your casket, someone's giving you a eulogy. Are they going to say, remember that time that you failed at that equity stake in the senior living tech company? No one's saying that. They're like, think of the impact, the influence he had. So you take these little micro moments and just try and put them into perspective. A lot of shit's happened since then. But I will say that as of right now, the training business and consulting business has been on absolute fire and it's the best it's ever been. So it's been a good run. Now wins and losses. We're going to talk about those. I just got a no, which ruined my 100% closing averages last <laughs> July, and I'm pissed. We'll talk about that, but so far, so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, but there's a lot to be said about accepting change and not letting disappointment take a hold of your soul. I think with as much money as we were looking at, right? The opportunity that, we, and I mean, you remember we were, we were enamored with the idea that this could be our ticket to a very wealthy lifestyle. I mean, oh, yeah. And I mean, the only time I ever felt even a crack in that was when we went to New Jersey and we were demoing the product. And when it wrapped up, it was working well, but the setup, the setup was the only thing that worried me. I was like, I'm a super techie guy. 
And even this is making me pause and like reread things and overthink things a little bit. So no, everything was going fantastic until exactly what you said, the the technology overpromised just slightly. Yeah, I, I started to get alarmed when I saw your face. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, we were there and you were filming and, and I was getting content based on what I think could introduce a sales conversation. That was my job. And you were getting it visually and content ready. And I just remember you asking a couple of questions and saying, well, what about this? What about this? And your reaction to some of those answers led me to go, hmm, what's happening here? I was trying my hardest to stay neutral. <laughs> so this is a good point. How do, like, do you think we could have done first of all do you think we did anything wrong no i think we i think we did everything that we could and for the simple fact that you know it took us a while to even get hands on with the product you know we were we were working off you know the information they were providing whether that be their own tech demos you know their own schematics their own you know analytics of how these products work it wasn't until you know a good few months later we were able to really test it for ourselves to really ramp up our side of the promotion and you know bring it out there to the people right. aspect so i think we did everything we could and you know I even think we asked really good questions when we were there being like, okay, if this is an issue, how long do we foresee that getting fixed? Because it wasn't like we were bringing all this stuff to their attention that they didn't know. Right. They were like, yes, we are aware we are working on this. This is not how we want the final product to be represented. Do you think they were just getting straight up lied to by the organization that was very far i won't name the country no but um, they were very far away you think they're getting lied to or or you know if you were let's just put it in this perspective if you were to be engaged alex i want to give you a five percent equity stake in this tech company and you're like okay been down this road what questions would you ask now that you've had this experience um, without getting into the specifics of that uh, actual deal we were in, mainly because there's just no need to, you know, explain every little bit. I think overall, just to write back to your original question of, do you feel like they were being lied to? I don't think they were being lied to, but I do believe that companies like that are easily manipulated. And in my eyes, a manipulation is slightly different from a lie because they could have potentially been telling them the truth the entire time mm. being like oh yes we know xyz is a problem we have our people working on it just because you have people working on it doesn't mean it's going to be fixed mm. i've noticed a lot of times even with talking with extra clients and you know kind of seeing where i would fit in with them they have such a basic kind of rudimentary idea of technology that they're willing to accept whatever someone says as fact instead of taking the step back and going well why is that right. the case they'll accept the first answer and go we'll just get it done yeah and our guys that we were working with were savvy very savvy global businessmen absolutely but they were on the older side i don't i'm not saying that to generalize like older people can't 
grasp technology but i think well, they even i mean i'll and, even flip it on the flip side uh the the newest technology out that i i feel pretty confident saying is the newest and most accessible is 3d printing but if you asked me to make a 3d print of something my brain would fuzz out because that's new technology that not even i as a 30 year old have messed with so that feels like that would be right in my realm of ability right but until i spend time with it and research it and figure out how the product works i'm not going to be knowledgeable on it so if i just reach out to the guy that just says he can do 3d printing i'm going to rely that he's telling me everything factually I think one of the biggest benefits that some of these larger companies can have is having an in-house person that you personally trust, be able to ask the harder questions, be able to really get to the root of the matter to see if the technology is where it needs to be or if it really does need a little bit more work. Yeah, that's true, but it's hard because, well, we we can name the whole country because it was in Israel that they were developing this. So it's so hard to connect those things. And I know they'd sunk a lot of time and years, even before we came on board, they'd sunk years into this. And even beyond the our people that were working on this, that technology had private equity infusion in the millions of dollars. It's not like this was being some teenager in his garage exactly. tapping away on There's his old 98 windows. Back. So this brings up the other point because right now my clients, especially the last one, two, three, th- three out of the four big clients that I've uh, put on retainer for the last year are all backed by private equity. I've never seen this much of an influx of private equity money than right now. And describe private equity. So for those that don't know, private equity be a group of people who, who will get a lot of money thrown at you. They'll give you the resources and they expect you to grow. So, But they're not necessarily in the forefront of the company. They're just more or less in the No, back they're end. not making too many decisions. They're just giving you resources and they have a buyout. So that would be a two, three, five-year buyout. That's established at the private equity infusion, but they have demands. I mean, you have to meet it. And so the reason we've gotten hired is because a lot of those demands are organic growth-based. Sell more, sell more. You can acquire companies all you want, but you also have to sell more. And here's something that's interesting from a sales perspective, that having this slightly new experience selling to companies that have private equity backing. You know, my solution, you know, when I charge somebody for one year retainer, it's a it's a six figure contract. Now, that's a that's a really good number for me and my business partner. Right? We can do a couple of those. We're gonna have a great lifestyle business. It's gonna be wonderful. But when you're selling to a multi-billion dollar company, $100,000 contract, in my mind, and this is a mistake I was making when proposing these, I say, this is a you know, $150,000, $200,000 contract that I'm proposing to you, and why are you sweating me over the price? Here's what I didn't realize. This is really interesting about understanding your client and their client's problems, right? So depending on how much work I do, I could be anywhere between 100 to 400 grand a year, how much you pay 
us for our services. And that depends on how much you want to train, how much you want to do, who you don't want us to talk to in your competitive space, all that. So either way, even if it's a 400, for a multi-billion dollar company, that's like picking up a penny off the floor. That's how I'm thinking in my own little box till one of my clients said, Tony, you got to realize we're at the last year of our turnover on this private equity infusion, which means they're looking at whatever dollar amount comes off the bottom line as a five to 10 multiple. So let's just say I'm at $100,000 right off the bottom line, but I can get you the results that you wanna get. But if it takes me a year to get the results, which is pretty normal to turn around an entire sales organization, but the rollover is happening before that year is up, they're only looking at 100 grand times five. If they're a 10X multiple, they're looking at 100 grand times 10. So it's not a $100,000 hit, it could be a million dollar hit out of your pocket when you're trying to retire. That is something I overlooked. So when you know we make these assumptions and, and we're, on our, we're in our own little world, like me as a you know middle class entrepreneur where I'm, I'm doing well in that world, and to me, if I'm making a couple hundred grand a year, I'm very happy, right? I wanna expand, I wanna do more, but I'm like, that, that's good. And I know it's not a lot of money, dollar for dollar, to result for a customer. That piece of new information reframed every strategy. And it actually, my client that told me that it helped me close the next two that had private equity infusions. So I was able to get in front of it and say, look, I know that you're on a multiple and you're out here. So part of what we gotta do is get really aggressive on the front end of this contract to get the outcomes quicker. So you you know those kind of things are all going into it. So you know, I know you were saying uh, this is one of the. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You were saying this is some of the first time you've really worked with companies that had the uh, private equity involved. Yeah. Um, but much like any lesson in life, sometimes once you learn something, even if it takes you three or four mess ups to learn the same mistake, once you do learn that mistake, sometimes you think back and reframe previous things. Learning that, have you now reframed any of your other losses and went, huh, maybe that also has something to do with it? Or if not, do you think that this is a more common problem than most salespeople realize? What I think is that we constantly stay in the habit box, right? A habit box? Yeah, this is how I've always done it. This is always the scenario. This is always the situation. And so therefore, the circumstances never change. So my 15 years as a, you know, being on my own as a sales strategist and consultant, I go, well, this is how it's always been. Well, I just told you that I've never seen private equity infusions at the rate that I've seen in the last two years. It's been really high and apparent every client I'm talking to is private equities involved. So the game changed, the playing field changed. So what I need to change is my own thought process on how I look at situations and variables. You know, the what is never the issue. Like what I do 
how my sales training works, how I train people, how I strategize on deals. Yeah, do I think that I'm the John Lennon of sales strategists? You're stuck <laughs> on that one, man. <laughs> yeah, I do, right? But that's not the kind of stuff that people go, okay, that's why we're gonna hire you. It's, it's always about people, context, scenarios, situation, outcomes. Those are the things that drive decisions. And if you're not constantly reevaluating how those are changing, it's going to affect your sales process. So, you know, a mistake that, like, as I look back on what I lost, lost, I think, hey, did I miss when I proposed a solution? Did I not ask about private equity? Did I not ask, if you're not, you know, if you're not a publicly held company and you're private, what are the aspirations for private equity infusions? Are you in one? Are you flirting with one? Have private Has private equity flirted with you? None of these questions were in, in my hemisphere 10 years ago, five years ago. Now they are. Now I'm really starting to have to address it. Here's another one that's coming up that's recent. Traditionally, at least in my experience, HR is not touch sales. These mother fathers are getting in there more and more and we do not get along. HR does not get along with me. We don't have the same personalities. I don't like people who've never sold anything telling me how to sell. It drives me fucking bonkers. But for better or worse, Diversity, equity, and inclusion, all the buzzwords that are going on right now, they're jumping in every process they can get their hands on. So I gotta learn how to navigate the buying process. I gotta say now, hey, how involved is human resources in the sales strategy? I gotta bring it up because it's it's already bitten me too hard on the back end on a couple deals that were on the fence, probably didn't win, could have won even one, but I've had to battle through some things. So strategically, me and my business partner have taken a step back and say, look, it's obvious that there's some consistencies in the marketplace. HR is getting way more involved than they ever have been. Private equity seems to be really involved in a lot of our deals. We have to strategically think about these things and bring them up early in our research to make sure that we had these things off and understand how the buyer buys. That's what changes. Not what, not what I do, not all the content. I, that'll never change how good I am at that. What has to change is me looking at the environment around me. It's HR, man. Bro. So, so, so why do you, uh, I mean, you kind of mentioned it was like, you know, you don't like people that have never sold telling you how to sell. But I also feel like you, you mentioned that it was the personality type differences. And on previous shows, we've really delved into, you know, different personality traits and, you know, how yeah. they work in the workplace. So what would be the defining differences between someone in HR versus in sales that kind of personally rubs you the wrong way? Well, here's the, here's the issue for me and i'm only speaking from my personal absolutely this is right? our podcast our yes. opinions so if you're in hr leave me alone <laughs> no you what can forward the complaints what, what to me yeah, forward the complaints to my hr department <laughs> wait a minute am i your hr department <laughs> sure. like personality type wise so you traditionally i would say that hr had a personality type but that's been changing oh really yep it 
you're seeing more dynamic personalities in HR. Usually it would have been that high S component that cares about people. You're seeing more variations. You're not seeing a lot of high eyes in there still, but you're seeing D personalities in there, S personalities. See, it's getting a little bit more varied from a personality standpoint. But what's really happening is there's a level of control that's that's happening like when people resist you and you have a really good thing that you can offer somebody and you're meeting some sort of resistance most of that resistance is coming from a place of fear and protection right people are trying to protect what they have they're afraid that if you bring something better it's a threat to their job folks let me give you a freaking reality check a lot of people in an organization, from a stakeholder standpoint, when they look at you and you're outsourcing something that maybe they're responsible for, people are making decisions based on how much of a threat to my job is it. So I'm a sales trainer. Well, every every organization has someone who does sales training or learning and development, right? You involve that individual into the sales process when you're looking to hire me, do you think they're pro outside trainer or anti? They're always anti every time. And now, so what you're seeing is HR is getting involved in the training process because it involves people. And when you bring really good things, they say, well, that wasn't our idea. And that's where it becomes a challenge. And so the way around that is obviously building champions within the rest of the organization. It's navigating that stakeholder, what I would call a stakeholder matrix or a buyer's grid and saying, look, these people have the potential to be an enemy, right? How do I either one, make them a champion or two, neutralize the conversation about me when I leave? Those are the two strategies that you have to deploy because you're going to have enemies in complex sales. You're going to have people that don't want you there. You're going to have people that say, that's my job. I'm supposed to be doing it even though they're they're not executing it. Otherwise, they would have not called me, right? So you have to determine, hey, have I developed enough champions outside of that role that's threatening me to override it? That's one. Two, can I turn these enemies into champions by creating massively strong relationships, which is hard to do? And or lastly, can I neutralize the effectiveness of their shit talking when I'm not in control of the conversation? How do I do that? And a lot of times that's just bringing up the the reality of what's going on. So I'll have a conversation with a buyer and say, Look, my experience is when learning and development is involved, they struggle with someone else who's bringing in a new version of learning and development. And I totally understand that. And in fact, in my experience, the most successful clients we have are the ones where we could co-develop a training program together and we all support each other. But at first, everyone's thinking friend or foe, and then usually I'm foe at first until we get in there. The problem is, it's until we get in there. So this okay. is a conversation I'm having with somebody. I say, so how do, you, how do you want me to handle 
that interaction and I pass the monkey back to the client. So as you evaluate whether it's private equity, whether HR is getting more involved, whatever the case is, like whatever the case is in your sales environment, recognize it, sit down with your team, strategize the best way to prepare and overcome it and head it off at the pass. That's what we've had to do because I've gotten too much negative feedback from the HRs of the world, the private, even though I'll eventually close them, it's still an unnecessary hurdle that one down the road I'm going to lose because I didn't address it early. Fair? Fair, absolutely. So on that note, let me give you the bad news. I made the promise to the people that I would never sit here and bullshit that I'm, I'm the man that I sell my ass off, which I do. I was at a hundred percent closing average since July of last year that ended last month. Just mm. test Tony. Tis-tis. I know you'd like to think that we're all at a hundred percent. Now let me pre let me, let me give you a little background on Paint us a picture, Tony. Why it stings, but why it shouldn't sting enough. I have a pretty tight grip on my closing average right now. It was 100%. <laughs> now it's 80. Okay, 80 is still pretty good, right? So the reason that I'm able to not freak out as much as I maybe would have 10 years ago. I could still see it on your um, face though, well, as you're navigating through. I still see it on I your hate, face, bud. That's from a, a place of I hate losing, right? It's not the, this time it's not the money, even though the contract possibility was for 180 grand, this one, and that's a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money. Uh, it's the lost opportunity on the money doesn't hurt as much as I just hate losing and I was on a roll and these people would benefit from having me. That really upsets me. So my, my buyer had told me that it was a done deal. He said, I'm running it by HR, not for approval, but just so they understand the assessment you use. So I went into this meeting on zoom that presume presumably I was going to show them my assessment and I got caught off guard. They started asking me about my training. And so I answered my questions. Now I'm not in sales mode. So I started doing what I tell people to never do, which is puke. Right? I started saying, well, I do this, I do this, I do this. Because the last I had heard was, hey, it's basically a done deal. Just show them what we're doing. You got comfortable. I got comfortable, made assumptions, never considered that I was still in sales mode. So lesson one, until the ink is on the freaking paper and the first check is in the mail, you are always in sales mode. And I would tell any of my clients that, and I broke my own damn rule. So there, I've admitted fault one. I was gonna say it is crazy though because um, I've had the privilege of you know being able to hear you give a lot of different speeches and coaching and stuff and and I do I've always heard you mentioning that and that's something I've always kind of kept in the back of my head when I am pitching to you know of course not you know multi thousand dollar deals but you know even something this small I always keep in the back of my head the no puking give the advice listen to what they're saying reply to what they're saying make sure it's very personalized don't just go running off talking about a million 
things you can do. So I did find that interesting though, that you were even able to see in yourself at the end of it, that that's what wound up happening. Was it simply because you had gotten so comfortable or? I had been killing it. Mm -hmm. I had been the conversation. I'd had conversations with three other stakeholders in that company and went sales mode and just flawless conversations. Uh, no puking, got commitments, identified their issues, did the whole research phase. For those of you that know the sales funnel process, resonating positioning, deficit questions, key business initiative, witty, 3D the witty, closed on the witty, uncovered the objection, closed on that, did everything perfectly. Hey, love it, looking forward to working with you, head of sales, by the way. I ran it by HR just so they're aware not for approval. That was a text message he sent me. So I went out of sales mode and that was mistake one. Mistake two was I tried to prove that I was right, which I was, and I was not ready for HR. To your point, the personality thing, this woman in HR was a high D personality. And so we got in an ego battle. I was trying to prove the point that uh, an assessment she was using was basically disc, which it was, and she said it wasn't. And I was kept trying to explain to her that disc is in the public domain and you can use it in a million different ways, even though it may not look like disc. It is. Their website says it comes from Carl Young, blah, blah, blah. Puke, 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 puke. I sound really smart. I got in an ego battle, and the kicker was one of the really big problem owners and influencers on the decision was on that call as well, and she was a high ass. And she was watching us go back and forth, and she said, wow, Tony's really unlikable. Wow, okay. Hard to hear. Yeah. Hard to hear. And, uh, you know, first you get mad, and you go, what do you mean I'm not unlikable? Right, I'm very yeah, likable. You, yeah, you son of a beast thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but she's probably not wrong. Well, she's definitely not wrong. She's a high S. She's watching two high Ds battle it out. That's an unlike. She's not wrong. I didn't like that. I don't like the way he communicates. And that was the problem. So... I proved a point, I was right, but I destroyed the relationship. Unfortunately, this person who was the new head of HR was the mentee of the CEO. The CEO was the mentor of this person, very tightly involved, and I missed all of this. I made too many assumptions. I didn't do what I usually do, which is respond to redirect. Hey, tell me about, you know, you're asking a lot of questions about my sales process. What do you want to see? What is it about my process that you're that you're wanting? What outcomes are you looking for? What's your involvement? And you know, my business partner started to implement a question into our sales strategy, which is do you allow people who can't get fired for not bringing in revenue to be involved in the sales process? That's a killer question. That is really good. Think about that. Because that's essentially aiming it at HR. So we've started to implement this question early in our sales conversations because HR is getting really involved, but you're not going to fire the head of HR for low organic growth and new business. 
but they're involved in the main mechanism for organic growth and new business. So one of the things I, I'm starting to ask new buyers is, you know, when you look at people who are involved in choosing the sales strategy training and process that you want to implement, when you think about who can be fired for low performance from a sales perspective, how many people or on a committee to make that decision that can be fired for low sales performance and that can't be fired for low sales performance. And who do you want me to appeal to the most in that stakeholder process? And with the whole part of the this podcast kind of being, you know, sharing tips, you know, and life stories and stuff, do you think that this is a new era of companies where HR and people of the like have a little bit more say? Or do you think you've just ran into a few anomalous examples that oh. kind of need to be looked at in any sales effort? Or do you think that this is something that's going to be new and ongoing? So that's a good question. I'm going to take it case by case because I got clients that completely bypass HR and I got clients that can't get away from HR. It's just, that's what I'm noticing. I, I don't, there's some people that are like, I'm with you, screw them, we're going around them. And, and by the way, if you're an HR and listening to this, I'm not shitting on you, I'm really not. It has a wonderful place in diversity, equity, inclusion, things that I, that I truly believe in that should be in the corporate marketplace. It's not that, but that's where it should be. Benefits, attracting the right people, making sure they're happy, making sure sexual harassment isn't happening. Sales. It's letting the interior designer control the menu at the restaurant. Oh no, it's letting the interior designer pour the foundation. <laughs> okay, I like that. Fair enough. Fair enough, I like that. So, and but because, now here's the, the answer to the question I think that you're looking for, right. HR is getting a louder voice socially. Okay, that's kind of, yeah, right? that's where I was so getting So you're getting, do you think that um, the owner of a, of a football stadium really, really, really wants to invest in renewable energy? Or are they more focused on appeasing the social pressures of the community and a tax break and a tax break <laughs> right yeah absolutely let's not Duke energy the is a client of ours i i'm not going to tell you i'm not going to say it out loud but i know the answer yeah <laughs> like they these 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 corporate dudes are not up there making these massive decisions because you know they're 65 and can't wait for the world to last longer exactly <laughs> It's just, they don't care about the bottom line. Wake so up. the mechanism's been HR is getting more involved. And so I'm cool with it, but I I can head off anything early. It's just recognizing new information and involving it into your overall sales strategy. So do I have clients that are like, HR? Nah, we're not into that. Small to medium businesses, sure, you'll find. There's other traditional businesses that, you know, they really, they've kept HR where they like HR, sales is separate. I got a massive client that is, you know, I've mentioned them before, but they're huge. Because they are a sales-driven organization, they bypass HR on hiring salespeople and all that stuff. It's all EEOC compliant, but they're not asking for approval on this salesperson through the HR process. They're saying, hey, can we get in trouble legally? No, is this the compliant? 
to the government, yes, then we're gonna hire the salespeople we see fit. So I just take it as a, as a per company approach, adapt as best as possible. I don't have the FU money to start telling people, eh, you know what, I don't want your business. I'm not there yet. Yeah, uh, maybe a couple clients more, but I will be, but not yet. So, <laughs> what, what was the old tagline? We're halfway there, or uh, when we were you were, you had your car and we were doing we were trying to figure out a uh, tagline for all the videos, and you're like, oh. <laughs> I'm half of the way there, I'm part way oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah, I made it yet, but I'm halfway there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. So you're halfway right. there. Yeah, I don't have quite the '59 Cadillac with the LS3 Pro there Charger that yep. Dad has. But I got the 64 Galaxy yes, with the did. 390 in it. Looks it. nice. Pretty sweet. Damn sweet. <laughs> so look, I, um, I'm glad we're doing this again. I wanted to give everybody an update. The, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the promise of this podcast is one, we drink good wine. Well, today's really good gin. Actually, what am I? I'm Alex, go get that over there. I want to share with people because this is phenomenal. This is, I want to share with the people what I'm having because it's not only a gorgeous bottle and I'll post it on my Instagram at wholebraintony. Go check it out. This is called Gray Whale Gin and the bottle is gorgeous. I know, I really like the blue. It's like this really turquoise blue bottle and I want you to talk, talk about this marketing and the wording, juniper from Big Sur, limes from Temecula, fir tree from Sonoma, sea kelp, apparently I'm drinking sea kelp, from Mendocino Coast, mint from Santa Cruz, almonds from Central Valley, perfected with six California botanicals. I know nothing about gin, but I wanted this gin. <laughs> the power of marketing. The power of marketing. So this is actually Grey Whale Gin. It's it's really phenomenal. I've gotten into gin a little bit more. Not a sponsor yet. Not a sponsor yet. Grey Whale, give us a call. Uh, but here's the promise. I promise you I'd bring you good beverages, good wine, good times, and realness. Look, here you want the reality of how it's been going in the past year? Really well. Really well. The best I've ever been really comfortable that comfort led to some complacency lost a big one that took almost 200 g's out of my pocket i'm a little pissed but you don't call them losses you call them lessons and those bad boys are going to come for the rest of your life that's right that's right so i gave you a little bit of the lesson of the loss the wins have been good pay attention folks address the nuances and new things in the market accordingly and never, ever, ever stop working on the basics. As they say, I want you to be like I-85. Never stop working on yourself. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a Charlotte joke for the local listeners. <laughs> there you go. All right, fam. Alice, you got any parting words for the people? It's been a while. Stay tuned. This is only the beginning. Only the beginning. Short and sweet, but That's here right. we go. All right, family. Until the next time, which will not be as long as next time. Happy selling. Peace. Peace.